I want to start today um, by sharing a story, I think, about something that happened in the last couple of weeks. I had a couple of friends who, who both prayed for me, and they had the, these two pictures of me on the top of a mountain uh, getting a word from God for the vision for the church. And I don't know why, but I decided that they might be literal, like I might literally need to get on top of a mountain. I understand that's not normally how words work. You know, normally it's metaphorical. Somebody else had a word once that they saw me on a pony. I didn't go to a shop and buy a pony. That would have been weird. Uh, but for some reason, I got it into my head. I need to get on top of a mountain. And so I did what any one of us here would have done. I took the next day I could off. I got in my car and I drove to Wales. And I, and I just found a mountain. I, I didn't do that much research. I just thought... I'll spot one, and I'll know that that's the mountain. And they're hard to miss, right? <laughs> so I drove, and I found a mountain, and I start walking to climb it, and I'm going across this, this kind of plain, flat area, and as I'm walking, this cold, ice-cold wind just hits me really hard. Like, you know when the wind hits you so hard, it steals your breath? Like, you lose a bit of your breath, and I was, I was like, this is, this is a really bad day to climb a mountain. I thought I should probably go back, but... I also thought if I can get to the top, I think like, I might hear from God. So I kind of I, I bent down a bit and I angled myself with the wind and I, and I pushed through and, I, and the wind died down and I felt, like, I felt really manly. I was like, yeah, booyah. You know, I, I'm beating this wind. And so I'm, I'm climbing this mountain and I'm walking for about another hour and there's this stream that's coming down across the path and it's burst its banks and, and it's going quite wild in front of me and I thought, there's no way I can just get across this stream like I'll be soaked and it's winter and this is like a really bad day to climb a mountain um, but I also have had that thought you know like if I get to the top I might hear from God so what I did is I, I climbed around the side and I went up this little tiny little rock face and um, I found a bit where the stream went between two rocks and I thought that I could maybe jump across and so I'm, I, I, in my I, I ran and I did this massive tiny jump <laughs> and hopped over the stream <laughs> and kept on going. And uh, then I'm, I'm climbing up a bit further and there's all this scree. And you know in scree, if you've ever climbed a mountain, they normally, I don't know who does this, but some lonely guy has been up the mountain and created little pyramids of rocks for you to follow. Well, there was none. And so I lost the path completely in this scree. But again, it's, it's quite hard to get lost on a mountain. Because if in doubt, you aim up, right? You just, you just aim up. And so that's what I did. I aimed up. And now I'm, I'm literally, I'm climbing mountain. I'm feeling about as manly as I ever have in my life. And uh, I get to the top ridge. And as I get there, it starts to rain. And then the rain starts to become a little bit more like sleet. And then the sleet becomes a little bit more like hail. I'm thinking, this is a really, really bad day to be climbing. I should have probably checked the weather before I decided to climb a mountain, but I hadn't. So I'm up there, and I get to this ridge, and it's like a storm just suddenly hits the mountain. And the wind is blowing really, really hard. Um, my hat keeps blowing off, and my gloves are soaked through in a matter of seconds, so I just take them off. I'm like, I'll just, I'll just push through. I'll just, I'll just persevere. So I'm pushing into this. I can't see anything because the hail is just hitting my eyes, so I can't keep my eyes open. So I'm walking along like this, kind of like just pushing, and every step hurts. And I can see about two feet in front of me, and I'm like, I have these three thoughts that just go through my head simultaneously. The first is like, 
this is dumb. <laughs> like, like, mountains are dangerous, right? I've seen touching the void. <laughs> People literally die on mountains. I, I, I've got a wife and two kids. What am I doing on the top of a mountain in a storm? The second thought is like, I'm hurting, I'm aching, my face is stinging, and I've never felt more alive. Like, I am beating a mountain, and it is going down, and I just feel full of life, and it's amazing. And the third thought is, I can't stop, because if I get to the top of this mountain, I might hear from God. And so I keep pushing, and I'm exhausted, and I'm invigorated, and I'm tired, and I'm excited, and I'm frustrated and sad, but I'm also happy. And it's like this mixture of emotions. And then as I'm pushing, all of a sudden, crystal clear, this thought just clicks in my head. And I just hear these words, and they say, now do this with your heart. Now do this with your heart. I don't know what... I was expecting to hear maybe like a man in white to just be walking down and say, build it and they will come, or something like from the field of dreams, like something incredible. I didn't expect, now do this with your heart. Uh, but it made absolute perfect sense to me in that moment. Because if you read the Bible and you look for the first place that the Bible talks about church, the first time that the Bible paints a picture of what church is, uh, you'll go to a passage in, um, in Matthew 16, 18. That can give you confidence if you're not good at remembering where Bible verses are. I'm absolutely with you. Matthew 16, 18, there's this passage. This is the first time Jesus talks about the church, and he's speaking to Peter. And he says, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a shocking verse. Jesus describes the church as a movement. But what's crazy is where is it moving to? The church is a movement. Where is it moving to? Jesus seems to be saying the church is a movement heading to hell. Like he's describing the church not running away from hell, trying to have their wonderful moment, but actually directly aimed at hell. The church is a rescue mission. The church is a group of people who are not afraid of giants, a group of people who are not afraid to face mountains. They're a group of people who are going to aim straight at the hardest, most broken, most messy situations and say the gates of hell shall not prevail in this city. So the truth is, if you don't know what hell looks like in Manchester, you're never going to fully know what it means to be the church. If you don't know what hell looks like, how can you know what it means to be the church? And I feel like this is actually the single greatest threat facing the church in this country. It's not that we can't defeat hell, is that we get distracted, we get disoriented, we get deflated, and we never even make it to the fight. So today I want to help equip you. In fact, I want to equip all of us. I want to equip myself as well. I want to equip you for the fight. I want you to equip you for the fight against slavery, the fight against hopelessness, the fight against darkness, against hate, against brokenness, against hurt. 
I believe that God has put a vision in each one of our hearts. And when you think about that, it will make your heart beat faster. Or maybe it will make your gut wrench. But there's something that you see and you think there's no way that this should be. And I want to equip you for that fight. To turn that bit of hell into a piece of heaven in this city. And I think it's entirely consistent that God would choose to use a group of several hundred people to change a city of several hundred thousand. That each of us, not working through clever programs or having incredible leaders or ideas, but each of us seeing that thing that God has placed in front of us as our fight that we can change and we can transform. So I want to talk about three snares, because I think, that, I think that's what these things are. I think, you know, we've been promised victory, but what actually happens is there's these little snares that stand in the way that stop us even getting there. And they're not even hard to overcome. We just need to recognize them and see them so that we can step beyond them. So I want to share three snares today that if you don't spot, you can waste years and years stuck in. And the first one is the snare of comfort. The snare of comfort. If you've got a Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 to 13. If you don't have a Bible, get a Bible. If you can't afford a Bible, ask me. I'll give you a Bible. People give me Bibles for free. I'll give you that Bible. Get a Bible. You can go on your phone. You can download a free app. There's so many Bible apps on there. Get a Bible. It's really important that you have your own Bible. So we're going Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 1. Now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wild. For forty wilderness days and nights he was tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when the time was up, he was hungry. The devil, playing on his hunger, gave the first test. Since you're God's son, command this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, It takes more than bread to really live. It takes more than bread to really live. I think we all want a comfortable life. And that, that's fair, isn't it? We all want a comfortable life. And I also think that sometimes we think about Jesus and we imagine him as like an ancient Superman. You know, like the baddies come and kapow, it's all sorted and there's no problems. And, and he looks like a man, but he's really a man of steel. But uh, this story doesn't present him quite like that. It says that he has the same struggles that we have. He had the same temptations that we do. He wanted a comfortable life in the same way that we want a comfortable life. In this story, Jesus is fasting. Now, if you don't know what fasting is, fasting is when you intentionally give up something so that you can spend more time with God or you can focus your energies on God. Uh, normally, that's food. It could be drinks. Sometimes it's, it's something else, like some people will fast Facebook or they'll fast mobile phones or something like that. But the idea is that you give up something which is a comfort so that you can focus more on God. And this is what he's doing. So he's been doing this for 40 days. I don't know about you, I miss a meal and I'm hungry. He's done 40 days and he's really hungry. And the devil says, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have some bread? Wouldn't it be nice to be comfortable? The temptation isn't, isn't really the, the power of the miracle. The temptation is that he would become independent, that he would provide for his own comforts. Yeah. So I want you to hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that comforts are wrong. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having nice stuff even. What I'm saying is that sometimes good things in life 
stand in the way of the God things in life. The good things we surround ourselves in a way stand in the way of the God things that should be. So what's stopping you from the fight? What comfort is holding you back? There was an entrepreneur called uh, Jia Zhang, and uh, he left his well-paid tech job and decided he was going to start up his own business. And he went around uh, trying to get things going and got really uh, frustrated and, um, and dejected and decided to give up after a really short amount of time because there was just rejection after rejection after rejection. And then he had this brainwave, this really incredible idea. And he started something called the 100 Days of Rejection. And he created a, an interesting way to be rejected every single day. So day one, he would go to a stranger and he'd say, could you lend me 500 pounds? Stranger obviously says, no, get away. Uh, the next day, it was like he had to go into a restaurant and order a quarter of a prawn. Uh, and so, so what he did was actually genius. He practiced rejection so that the fear of rejection wouldn't have a hold over him in life. I think this is what fasting is. You can practice being uncomfortable so that the fear of discomfort doesn't hold you back from what God is doing in your life. Now, fasting isn't about being uncomfortable. If all you do when you fast is get hungry, you've missed the point entirely. It's about resetting your priorities. It's about saying that my comfort doesn't come before love. I'm going to prioritize love over comfort. So on the 10th of February is the beginning of Lent, and this is actually a traditional time for the church to fast. And I want to, I want to challenge you, could this be a time for you to fast? Could this be a time for you to practically take something which you see as a comfort and say, I'm going to practice putting this aside so that I can prioritize love? And as I said, if you do that and you just get hungry, you've missed it. When you do that, look, what is the practical opportunity for me to love in this time? What does that look like? So a whole bunch of us, a whole bunch of the staff are going to be doing this. Lots of the elders are doing this. And I'd love to encourage you to do it with us. I'm going to put some stuff on Facebook. There'll be stuff going out in the email newsletters to just give you a little bit more information about what it means. But maybe this is something for you to take up. So the first snare is comfort. And the way you defeat it is you make your desire to love greater than your desire to be comfortable. The second snare which we need to step over is the snare of control. If we continue reading Luke chapter 4, verse 5, for the second test, he led him, Jesus, and spread out all the kingdoms of the earth on display at once. Then the devil said, they're yours in all their splendor to serve your pleasure. I'm in charge of them all and can turn them over to whomever I wish. Worship me and they're yours, the whole works. Jesus refused. Good. That would have been a short story otherwise. Jesus refused, backing his refusal with Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only the Lord your God. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. Jesus is offered ultimate control. How many of you would love to be offered ultimate control? I think we love being in control. I mean, it sounds better, doesn't it, than being out of control? or being under control, being in control, sounds positive. Uh, we're trained from like, a young age in this as well. It's like when you're a child, you're dependent, and your parents teach you to be independent. 
And we think that's good. And it's not bad. But the Bible tells us that that's not the final step. The Bible says that we need to go from dependence to independence to God dependence. Proverbs chapter 3, 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. I think there's a trap in control and it's a trap that Jesus spots because what you try and control always ends up controlling you. What you try and control always ends up controlling you. You try and be in control at work and what ends up is your job starts to dominate your life. You try and control your relationships. What ends up happening is you get stressed and you get isolated. You try and control your finances, but your finances end up controlling you. You end up spending all your time, all your thoughts, and all your decisions become about your money. So every day we need to decide who is in control of my life. Is it God or is it me? And if you realize, actually, I'm trying to be in control, the way you break that control is through obedience. Obedience breaks control. Jesus' answer to the devil is to point straight at God, serve him with absolute single-heartedness. So how do you do what God wants you to do? How do you know what God's will is for your life? How do you be obedient? It's a really good question. And you get people all the time saying, I don't know if God's saying I should do this or I should do that. How do I know? And if you're not sure, I'd love to give you the 80-20 principle. It's just a really practical way to be obedient to God. You see, 80% of God's will for your life, you'll find in the Bible. And it's really clear, and it's really, really straightforward. And if you follow that 80%, the 20% that's unclear will just fall into place. If you can follow the 80% that's really clear in the Bible, the 20% will fall into place. In other words, love your neighbor. Spend time in God's word. Talk to God in prayer. Spend time with God's people. Love your family. Love your kids. Serve the poor. Protect the way that you speak to people. Be kind in your relationships. Be patient. If you follow the 80% we find in the Bible, the 20% will just fall into place. So we need to first, we need to prioritize love over comfort. Second, we need to learn to release control by practicing obedience. And the third snare is the snare of risk. If we continue Luke chapter 4 and verse 9, it says this. For the third test, the devil took him to Jerusalem and put him on top of the temple. He said, if you are God's son, jump. It's written, isn't it, that he's placed you in the care of angels to protect you and they will catch you. You won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. Yes, said Jesus. And it's also written, don't you dare tempt the Lord your God. I found that people become Christians and then all of a sudden something bad happens. Something difficult happens in their life and they, and they start to question themselves like, what am I doing wrong? I thought this was a good thing. Why has my life suddenly got harder? And the answer is you've done nothing wrong. When you start following Jesus, you suddenly become a threat to hell. Jesus' temptations come straight after the greatest blessing of his life to date. He's just been baptized. He's just been filled by the Holy Spirit, and straight away he's under attack. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he had this safety net? 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if he just had these angels who would protect him from everything that could possibly go wrong in life? The Old Testament says that the Son of Man, the Messiah, this is who Jesus was, would have command of all the angels. And they would be his army, and he could command them to do whatever he wanted. He essentially had the safety net on offer, and the devil's like, why don't you use it? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a life that's risk-free? I wonder, what is it that you see in the city that needs change? What is the vision that God has put in your life that makes your heart beat? And what are you willing to risk to see it come true? I believe God uses people who dream God-sized dreams. John Wimber is a a famous uh, Christian leader, and he said, faith is always spelt R-I-S-K. To step out in faith always involves risk. In the Bible, Paul and Barnabas, they risked their very lives to share the gospel. And in fact, if you read the Bible, every single time you see God move in heaven or move on earth, there's somebody risking something. You can choose. You can be a risk taker or you can be a caretaker or an undertaker. If you want to see growth, if you want to see life, you need to learn to be a risk taker. A flourishing life only comes from risks. In fact, I bet I can predict exactly how much God is doing in your life right now. I might not know you, I don't need to know you, but I can predict exactly how much God is doing in your life right now. God is doing in your life exactly what you expect God to be doing in your life. However much you're expecting him to do, that's how much he's doing in your life. The Bible says, according to your faith, it will be done. According to the risks you take, it will be done. So don't look for a safety net. You need to step beyond. You need to step forward in faith. A few, well, more than a few years ago, about seven years ago, God said to to our family, move to Manchester. And um, he didn't really give us much time to prepare. He just said, go. And so we, we quit our jobs and we took what we had. We had a house for three months. We just moved to Manchester. And what I did when God said it was I measured the size of the risk to the size of my God. And I said, how much of a risk is this compared to how big is my God? And I decided that God was bigger than that risk, so so we went for it. And I think that you can do this. You can do this practically. You can start small if you like. You can take a small risk and you can practice this. You can say, this week, I'm going to take a tiny little risk. I'm going to not run down the escalators. I'm going to stay in the coffee time. I'm going to see if someone speaks to me. Maybe that's a big risk. Or I'm going to pray for a friend and see if God answers the prayer. And you take a tiny risk. And what happens is you see God gets a bit bigger. And then you take a little bit of a bigger risk. This time you're praying for somebody, but maybe they're not from church. Maybe there's somebody outside of church. Or maybe you ask God for a prophetic word for the guy on the, on the till in, in Argos or wherever you shop. I don't know why I said Argos. Let, let's go with Argos. But you take a bigger risk. And then what happens is you see God is a little bit bigger than you thought. So then you think, well, maybe I'll go and speak to this stranger and I'll share the gospel with somebody I don't know. And that feels really risky. And this is big, but it's like all of a sudden your God will get bigger and bigger. And you can practice with small risks. 
and be intentional, sticking yourself in a risky place, and you'll watch God be bigger and bigger than any risk you can possibly take. God will always be bigger. So don't, don't be afraid of what could go wrong. Get excited about what could go right. Practice being risky. Practice giving over control. Practice being uncomfortable. And do it all so you can prioritize love. As I was praying about this word in the week, I felt like God was saying that there's maybe some people here today who who have faced big mountains in the past. And they've been hit hard, and maybe they've even been hurt. And I believe God wants to say to you today that your destiny is not in the hospital, that your purpose is for victory. You're not made to be comfortable. You're made to be courageous. You're not made to be in control. You are made to be unchained. You're not made to be timid. You're made to take God-sized risks. And the promise is that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. That as we step out as a church, hell cannot prevail. Yes, woo. And I, I firmly believe that as we do this, we will be in those same three thoughts that I had. We will realize how risky it is. We will say, this is scary and this is hard, and sometimes I don't even know what I'm doing here. But then another part of us will say, this is living. This is how life is supposed to be. I feel so alive. And we'll realize that God is standing there in the heart of that storm with us. I'm going to ask the band to come up now. I want to wrap up today with an invitation. Because I think... A lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about God and who God is. I speak to a lot of people and I I ask them who they think God is and they say, I don't believe in God because God's like this. And and I'll say, I don't believe in that God either. And people think that God is this this old man with a beard who sits on a cloud or maybe God is this this judge and he's distant and he's cruel. And, And that's not the God that I read about in the Bible. And people look at the church and they think, well, the church, that's, that's out of touch. And maybe you think about it in terms of, of tea and biscuits or, or hymns. And, and you think that's just not relevant to my life. And again, that's not the church that I read about in the Bible. You see, God is a God who didn't want to stay in his comfort zone. But he saw the brokenness that we all experience. He saw the problems and he said, I'm not going to let that prevail. So he left and he came to earth. And he took scars and he took bruises in the same way that we do. He experienced trials in the same way we do. He took risks in the same way that we do. He lived a fully human life and he understands everything about our lives. And his path meant that he ended up giving over control He ended up being arrested, he ended up being put on a cross, and he ended up dying. I'll tell you why he chose to do all of that. 
He did all of that for me. And he did all of that for you. And what's amazing is if you read the story, he didn't stay dead. But after three days, he rose again and he had new life. And he did that for me and he did that for you. So that we don't need to have fear. We don't need to live in fear of being out of control. We don't need to live in fear of being uncomfortable. We don't need to live in fear of the risks. Because Jesus is in the heart of every single storm with us. And maybe you're here and maybe you, you've never realized that this is Jesus. Or maybe you've been coming for a little while and you've never made this decision for yourself. Every single week we ask people and we challenge them. We're not ashamed to say, we want to challenge you and encourage you to make a decision today. To say, that's the Jesus I want to follow. That's the God I want to worship. The God who knows me. The God who's relevant to my life and the God who calls me to bigger things. And I want to ask you to make that decision today. And if, and if that's you and you think, I do, I want to join that. I want to follow that Jesus. I want to take part in that movement. This could be a first time thing for you. Maybe you've been away for a long time and you realize, actually, I need to come back. I want to ask you to do that now. So I don't want you to have any distractions. So today I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. Because it's not really about anybody else seeing what you're doing. I don't want you to think, oh, there's loads of people doing this, so I'm going to do it. Or nobody else is doing this, so I'm not going to do it. I just want you to ask yourself, do I want to make this decision? And if you want to pray with me this prayer today, right now, please stick your hand up high so I can see you, so that I can pray with you. If you want to make the decision today to say, I want to follow that Jesus, please stick your hand up high. Thank you. Thank you. I can see hands over there. I'm just going to give you another minute. I don't want to rush this moment. I remember doing this and my heart was beating. I could feel it in my stomach. Fantastic. Fantastic. What we're going to do now, I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen. And we're all going to stand and everyone who believes this prayer, who's prayed this before, or who wants to pray it for the first time today, I'm going to ask you to pray this alongside us. So let's all stand together. And let's pray this today with a little bit of passion, a little bit of belief. And let's say it together. Thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven and came to die for me. I want to accept your gift of freedom, life, and relationship with God. Today, I make a decision to follow you. I want to join your rescue mission and help others too. Amen. Praise God.